All right. Well, good morning. So good to be with you guys. Um, if you're new or visiting, thank you, Evan. Oh, yes. If it will go higher. A test of strength. Oh, it's taped. <laughs> it's a test of tape. This will be fine. I'll make it. All right. If you're new or visiting with us this morning, uh, my name is Brian. I'm the executive pastor here at Church 21, which means usually I'm in a dark room alone somewhere hugging a spreadsheet. But once in a while they let me out to preach, so I'm super excited to be with you today. And we're in this uh, September series that we do. It's sort of a biannual thing, although COVID threw us off a little bit. But we try to do this every other year or so because um, issues of sexuality are so um, important to address, uh, particularly for us now. And so we, we try to spend and invest time in this regularly. Um, and what's, answer the question, like, what is actually going on in our culture? And what does the Bible have to say about it and bring to bear on it? Um, so over the last three weeks, we've looked at the intention of sex. We looked at um, singleness and dating. And then last week, we looked at gender. Next week, we're finishing our series um, on sexuality itself. Who's been here for these so far? Seen, been involved, some of them. It's been a good series, right? I'll be sad for it to end. Um, this morning, though, we're looking at the topic of pornography. Um, and it's kind of a massive subject to, to, to address in, in one morning, but what we're going to try and do is to look at, like, look at it like sort of historically, where we are now, where it could be going, um, its impact on individuals in society, what the Bible has to say about it, and what can, we, what can we do about it as individuals and as a church. So lots to cover. Let me pray for us one more time, and, and then we'll get to work. Papa God, uh, we come to you as your people gathered this morning to open your word and to understand what you have to say to us. Um, we thank you uh, for your word and the guidance uh, that you give us. Um, Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit. Um, we know your spirit is here, but we ask that you would make your spirit manifest and work on us, in us, changing our hearts on this issue, changing our minds on this issue, repairing our bodies on this issue. Um, and just turning our hearts to you. Jesus, we ask that you would uh, be glorified this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Did you change this while I was praying? Did you hot swap it out with something different? Okay, it's the same. Disappointing. Uh, all right, so <clears throat> like many young kids uh, in the 1980s, I first encountered pornography in a hotel room. Um, Back then, pornography was largely inaccessible. Um, if you wanted some or to see some, you had to like go to the store and like buy it. Or you had to have cable TV with an unscrambler, descrambler box. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? No one? Yeah, come on. Some of you guys are old enough. And, and what it would do is it unscrambled the signal to show static. And, you, and so, you know, as a 10-year-old in a hotel room, there's this like, box on the TV and there's buttons and it had all of the pay-per-view channels of which there was like at least one adult channel and you could just watch the channels but if you watch for longer than 30 seconds they just build Iron Man or whatever to your room whatever that was not didn't exist but you know some old movie they just bill it right to your room well it turns out 30 seconds is long enough to 
see a lot of things that you cannot unsee as a 10-year-old. And eventually my, my parents uh, figured out um, what was possible, and they you know, called the front desk, and they just had it, the signal turned off. Now, as a parent, the idea that I could just make a phone call and have all the pornography access in my home removed is a very appealing thing. Unfortunately, it's not that easy um, anymore. Um, that was in the 80s. Um, in the 90s, somebody figured out that you could allow f- computers to call each other on the phone, on the landline. This is not the internet yet, uh, but they had these things called electronic bulletin board systems. Okay, again, old people, you can out themselves. But does anyone remember BBS? Yeah, BBS. So fun. You can play text-based games where, like, right on the screen, you're in a room, and you can go north, east, and south, and there's a rope on the floor, and you type, get rope, and it responds, you can't get rope. And you're like, you know, sit there thinking, like, why can't I get that dang rope? You know, and, like, typing things in. And after a while, you get bored, and you realize there's file sharing on this BBS, and there's all of these image files uh, with titles that are, like, you know, girls in swimsuits. So you, then you spend 45 minutes trying to download a single res- low-resolution image titled Girl in Yellow Swimsuit, which is a very interesting thing to a 14-year-old boy. Um, but to achieve this, you have to keep your mom off the landline for 45 minutes. Otherwise, she picks it up. Wee, 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 d- interrupted call, and no picture. Um, today, we live in a very different world. Back then, it was largely inaccessible, and, and it, was, it was to get pornography or even just immodest, illicit imagery was... It was kind of like Australia. Um, Theoretically, it's out there. It's far away. It's hard to get to, expensive. Uh, But every once in a while, you would bump into it here, like bump into an Australian. I apologize to any Australians present. I don't think Jordan's here this morning, so I feel bad about this, but such a good analogy. Um, You know, there's this thing out there, Australia, theoretically. So, um, but it's not like that anymore. Now it's like in your front lawn. It's in your pocket. It's everywhere. It's, it's influencing the media. Um, that, that, like in advertising, uh, you walk down the street and you can see the pornification of advertising, of music videos. It's inserted into TV shows and movies. So like one of the most successful shows of the last decade was Game of Thrones. And they were sort of new and avant-garde. Wired Magazine was writing about this, how they would literally add in long stretches of pornography in with important plot-driving dialogue over the top. And the reason they did this is they're like, people's attention spans are really bad. Something's wrong. It's like only eight seconds now. It's like one second shorter than a goldfish. And so they had to keep people engaged. They would just put the important stuff over um, pornography. And um, now, like, I can hear, like, some of you being like, (coughs) sir, that's not pornography. Those are just sex scenes. And I would correct you, except sadly I know exactly what you mean. Um, what is considered pornography today is a far cry from what I encountered back in the 80s in that hotel room. Um, going to a mainstream, regular pornographic website will almost right away bombard you with images and videos of what would be called hardcore pornography, including violence and sadism, and in some cases, even depicting things that are trying to mimic the appearance of even child pornography. And even, as it's become clear, in some cases, we'll actually be showing things that are actual uh, abuse uh, of minor persons, um, and you don't even realize what it is that you're seeing. Um, the, 
the way that we, the place that we find ourselves in the world today makes for things like what's in Game of Thrones feel normal to a desensitized people. Um, I'm going to share some statistics. And um, I'm exercising caution in what I say and how I say it, but just know that, like, um, as the young people say, like, trigger warning, like, if you've experienced trauma, sexual trauma, or addiction in this area. Um, and some of these statistics are um, maybe from, like, last year or the year before are dated in certain ways, and so they might be different now, but this is what we have to work with. Um, porn is a global estimated $97 billion dollar industry, and that's from a year or two ago, so it's probably over 100,000 now, especially because during COVID, numbers went up, um, usage went up. According to data analytics, as of May 2001, porn sites received more website traffic in the U.S. than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. According to a nationally represented survey of U.S. teens, about 85% of 18, 14 to 18-year-old males and 57% of 14 to 18 year old females have viewed pornography. Despite the fact that porn can be wildly unrealistic and often glorifies violence, sexism, or racism, one recent survey found that over half of boys, so about 53%, and over a third of girls, 90, 39%, reported believing that pornography was a realistic depiction of sex, which is, that's kind of a sad and terrifying thing. Considering that 88% of scenes in porn films contain acts of physical aggression and 49% of scenes contain verbal aggression. So what do you think that that does if people believe that this is accurate the way that it's supposed to be? Well, this is a little bit of an older study, but it's, a, it's actually a composite. Um, a 2015 meta-analysis of 22 different studies from seven countries found that internationally, the consumption of pornography was significantly associated with increases in sexual aggression, both verbally and physically, uh, both, uh, um, among males and females alike. So it's affecting people. Uh, teen is one of the most consistently popular porn themes, and research shows that, one, this theme is becoming increasingly popular, and two, it's portraying, including the portrayal of underage characters. Of domestic minor trafficking, like human trafficking victims, who have been forced into porn production, the average age they began being filmed was 12.8 years old. Average time in the business is three months. Life expectancy is 36.2 years. You can go on, but you get the idea. This is a massive, massive industry. It's huge. And it's touching everything and everyone around us. But we just don't talk about it. And it's having a hugely negative impact both on those who are using it and those who are involved in the production of it, whether they're doing so willingly or if they're coerced or by exploitation. Um, missing girls are being, like people who have like missing posters, they're being found in videos. They're being, they're being um, seen, uh, identified. And as I inferred before, like sometimes the things that they're labeling as like categories of pornography, where they'll just label it as rape, or abuse, sometimes are actually just footage of rape and abuse. And in some cases, there is a very fine line between where someone is an actor going into a situation thinking that they're going to film something and um, are reporting coming out of those experiences um, uh, physically harmed um, and deeply traumatized. So there's even the willing participants are sometimes experiencing abuse. And this fact, these 
uh, variables have become so well known um, that, and so well publicized that it just two years ago, MindGeek, the parent company of Pornhub, and many of you guys would be aware of this because this is a Montreal company and we've taken a stand against this as a church, um, but they lost their credit card payment agreements with Visa and MasterCard, at least temporarily, um, over violations of having um, uh, child abuse material available on their website. And the fact that much of the content on their website couldn't be verified is actually being consensual, meaning they could be actual just abuse footage. Um, they only admitted to 118 counts of ch having child abuse material on their site, which frankly is insane and a lot um, that, that people aren't in jail because of that. But 8.8 .8 million videos were taken down because of this. 65% of the content on their site was taken down because of this um, and because of the nature of the internet, likely a lot of that is still available on the dark web, but the winds are real, that that was taken down, accessibility was limited, they're being hurt financially. Um, and even just two months ago, the CEO and the COO stepped down. So there are, there are real wins. You might be asking like, uh, this all sounds like kind of illegal, right? At some certain level, like why is this allowed? Well, sadly, there are zero international laws governing um, the production and distribution of pornography, which is insane to me that there's like, they like, come on, United Nations, like, like you're doing all this other stuff messing around. Like, why is this not a thing? Um, generally, the way it works is there are laws where it's produced. And if you produce something, it's legal for you to produce it. And this is important for you guys to understand this. It's legal for you to produce it in a certain area. That's fine. You can ship it to the world, regardless of whether individuals' pockets of the world where you are as a viewer are allowed to receive it. No one's policing this. So you think, oh, well, it's coming to me through my screen on my phone. Must be legal, right? No, it doesn't have to be. And I'm not talking about child pornography. There are elements of por pornography that are produced that actually could be very illegal for you to be being consuming wherever you are here, let's say in Montreal, and yet it's not like policed very much because they're more concerned about other things. Now, this used to be totally illegal in the United States anyways, and a lot of the stats are from the U.S. I apologize. We're in Canada, but... A lot of this stuff used to be straight up illegal under what were called Comstock laws, and this covered a whole bunch of areas of vice. Um, and, but people eventually were like, hey, you know what? Um, this is a free speech issue, producing this content. And so in the 50s, these laws were fought, uh, these, um, there were court, ca court cases about this, and they basically said obscene materials are now protected by First Amendment rights, and that was 70 years ago, and it's just been like rocket ship um, ever since then in terms of what um, has been allowed. Um, so looking at all of this, as we kind of try to absorb this information and look it straight in the eye, we should be feeling bad. We should be feeling sick and horrified. Um, that's an appropriate response uh, to this. And because there are, well, maybe not in this room, but in some spaces where I'm preaching, there are younger people in the room, and I'm being circumspect. There's much more awful things that could be said about this that just can't really be said um, in a public way. Um, now, because we're talking about this topic in the midst of September, you think like, well, this is like a thing, this is a sexual thing, right? That's kind of how we associate it. It feels related. Um, and yes, it, pornog with pornography, like it does involve, it does sort of start there as a sexual thing, but it doesn't end there. Um, it, it, pornography isn't really about sex. It's about drugs. This is really, really important to understand. Um, and as Christians, the sexual 
association with pornography is hard to shake. We think of it as a lust issue. We think of it as a sexual immorality issue. And yes, that's true to a point. Um, but the way to think about this, I think is helpful, is people, they, they go there for the sex, but they stay for the drugs. Um, so rather than being a purely sexual thing, the most accurate way to think about pornography addiction is an addiction to painkillers. Um, it's specifically, it's a kind of opioid addiction. I think this is really, really helpful to, and important to understand because it changes the conversation a little bit when we talk about pornography and addiction. And um, I think it helps people who are, uh, at whatever level, engaging with pornography to sit up and be like, well, wait a minute, this is different than the way I think about it normally. So we've all heard about the opioid crisis, right? You guys know about this. You read the news. Opioid crisis, what's happening? People are getting addicted to painkillers, heavy, heavy drugs. Um, pharmaceutical companies are making millions of dollars off these addictions. People overdose. They die. They're suing. There's big payouts. All of this stuff is, is kind of coming out in the news. Porn addiction is extremely similar in the brain chemistry that's involved in opioid addictions. Um, you can't overdose like you could with like a street drug or an over-the-counter drug, so that's good, I guess. But the huge downside is, is the pharmacy, the drug dealer, it's in your head, always available, ready to give you a hit. Um, so here's, we're just going to take a minute to look at what is going on in your brain chemically when you're viewing pornography and, or, and, and, and there's a sexual activity involved in that in some way. And what follows is a mashup of information from a few sources. Um, Mark Castleman's book, The Drug of the New Millennium, The Brain Science Behind Internet Porn Use, uh, as well as work by bioneurologist Dr. William Struthers, and some stuff from the Journal of the American Psychological Association. So I'm going to read some stuff. <coughs> when someone watches porn, their arousal is increased and their thoughts are focused through dopamine, testosterone, and a word that is really hard for me to say, somebody in the first other NDG knew how to say it. Um, maybe you can help me with this. It's neuropinephrine. You Boom, thank you. I will point at you in a moment. Be ready. Okay, uh, first, dopamine. Dopamine activates or enhances reward circuitry that makes you feel good. It also plays a major role in memory and addicting you to Facebook. Testosterone dramatically increases sexual arousal and desire and... Thank you. Sorry, you were drinking. Yes, is a neurotransmitter often associated with stress in the fight or flight response, helping us to be more alert. It also acts as a hormone for sexual arousal and sexual memory, and it helps us burn emotional experiences in our mind. If porn is combined with sexual activity of any kind, people get uh, the sexual version of tunnel vision as more of these three initial chemicals are combined with two more chemicals, oxycotton and vasopressin. Oxycontin is often referred to as the bonding hormone, bonding you to whomever or whatever you're with. Working in concert with that, vasopressin also encourages feelings of bonding and is slowly released during sexual activity and creates attachment. So we got five chemicals so far, if you're paying attention. Six, uh, sixth chemical. Also at play are natural or endogenous opiates, which during sexual activity provide pain relief and a sense of transcendence and euphoria. So if you're like, that sounds like opium. Yes. It's like opium. Um, opiates form the chemical basis of codeine, fentanyl, heroin, morphine, and others. If you're familiar with the names of drugs from watching TV, those are very serious drugs, like very, very addictive. 
But we're not done. Finally, there is the release of serotonin, which brings feelings of calm, well-being, and satisfaction. So the above mix of chemicals is extremely, extremely addictive. You're thinking, like, I thought, like, morphine and heroin was addictive. Yes, it is. Plus, just throw, like, six more chemicals into the mix. This is why we have a problem. Now, you can imagine if there was a way, this is all in your head, readily available. Um, If there was a way you could just hit a button and just release that into your brain. What would that be like? Well, science, you know, they wanted to know. So they hooked up some rats with wires just right into the pleasure centers of their brains, gave them a lever. What'd the rats do? 7,000 times an hour. Push that sucker. Don't give me any food, sex, companionship. Just give me the lever. And they're like, well, what if we electrify the floor between the rat and the lever and they put some food over there? Rat's like, ow, I'm not hungry right? You know, like that's what they did. But then they put the lever over there and the rat's like, yes. And they stood on the pain, on top of the pain, and they're like, lever, lever, lever. Until like starvation or death. They take them out eventually because cruelty. But um, what if you did that to a person? I was very disappointed by the response in the first gathering, but I'm asked this question. Who here has read a Michael Crichton book? Yes, thank you. Come on, people. Yes, a few of you. Yeah. Okay, who's watched Jurassic Park? Any, yes. All right. So Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park, other stuff. And uh, in high school, I read this book he wrote called The Terminal Man, where they, this guy had seizures. And so they're like, let's wire him up so that every time he starts to have a seizure, he gets a hit in his pleasure sensor of his brain and he feels better and it interrupts the seizure. Great success. But as he's in the hospital recovering, somehow in his brain, he figures out how to push that button and he just starts pushing that button. Faster and faster until his brain breaks and he becomes a murder robot. It's a great book. I don't think they've made it into a movie. It's mostly in his head. It could be boring um, or inappropriate. But anyways, um, but that's just fiction. I first service, people were like, what? And I'm like, no, no, that didn't happen. But they did do this in the 70s, if you can believe it. I'm getting there. Uh, I will spare you the gritty details, but I will tell you that the people behaved very much like the rats. There was this one woman who um, was dealing with chronic pain wired her up, gave her a little box, sent her home. She begged her family, take the switch away from me. And they did. And then she begged her family, give me it back. It's a huge problem. Pornography is the closest thing we have in our society to having access to that kind of switch. Just completely life-destroying ability to hit that button. Um, the d- average addicted user, like the people who are like have fully, in a sense, given themselves over to it, they're not resisting, they're not fighting, uh, 10 to 12 hours a week, uh, and um, a third of them are also getting a hit at work, finding a way to view it at work. Um, so this is extremely dangerous fire that we're playing with, and people are starting to raise the alarm. And this is way back in 2004, but at a s- U.S. Senate hearing, Mary Ann Layden, co-director of the Sexual Trauma and psychopathology program at the University of Pennsylvania Center for Cognitive Therapy called porn the most concerning thing to psychological health that I, have, that I know of existing today. Pornography addicts, addicts have a more difficult time recovering from their addiction than cocaine addicts. Since coke users can get the drug out of their system, but pornographic images stay in the brain forever. That was 18 years ago. Today, we have 4K, 5K, VR pornography blasting people's brains with content she hadn't even imagined when she expressed this concern. And smartphones didn't exist back then. 
Now we have smartphones, and that has allowed porn users to tighten the feedback loop in their brains faster and faster and more often to release those chemicals. So um, picture this. As your, this, and this, the reason this is a problem now, it introduces a new problem of desensitization. Um, so imagine this. You're, you're um, hitting your brain with these intense mix of chemicals, and as you do this, this thing called delta Fos B accumulates in your brain and starts to alter your brain. It starts to make your responsiveness to these intense chemicals lower. The stimuli doesn't work, and so you have to add in variety, and that works for a little while. But then you have, then it stops working, starts getting more desensitized. And then you have to start adding in um, different kinds of content, seeing different things, more shocking things, more violent and shocking images. Um, and this begins to serve another purpose as well, adding in an eighth chemical to the mix, adrenaline, which increases the high. So eventually, purely sexual, sexual images aren't enough, and users will find themselves engaging with and viewing more and more disturbing imagery involving violence, same-sex, animals, and in some cases, child pornography. This is how we get there. And no one ever wakes up one morning thinking, I'd like to watch someone hurt a two-year-old. I was reading in a, I'm a big Wired magazine fan, and I get it every month, two months or whatever. It used to be better. It's not as good now. But they, and they had this article on how these people were using Bitcoin to pay each other for um, child abuse videos. And sometimes they were involved in producing them as well. Not understanding the idea of Bitcoin. It's a public ledger, people. It's all public, you know. So the IRS figures this out, traces them all down, rescues some children, uh, which was really great. But, I mean, the IRS agents, these math nerds, were deeply traumatized by being exposed. Like, this world's, like, hidden, and they looking into that completely just destroyed some of them um, to see these images, to be aware of this stuff. Like, normal people, like school administrators, you know, being like... Come with us. We're taking your computer. You're going to jail. Like, very, very scary. Um, this, is, this is where we get. And I even told my kids, I'm like, you know, don't read this Bitcoin article. Um, it's, it's too hardcore. Um, this is why the majority, as we said before, 88% of uh, pornography involves violence. Because people at this stage need it to be shocking. They need it to be horrifying in order to be able to get the trigger that they need for their brain to kind of flip that switch. And... To make horrifying content, people are being abused, really abused. And, um, and sometimes this is kidnapped victims, and this is all happening because um, people are chasing a high uh, that they can't get any other way. And so we've got this, like, truly um, tragic situation. Um, all of this, looking at all of this, should give any casual porn user pause. They're like, oh, it's not a big deal. This should give you pause as you contemplate this. Um, but this isn't a static situation, right? Like what I saw in the 80s going up to where we are now, to like 2004 Senate hearing, to where we are now, that curve is still going. Things are still changing. Where we're going to go. Any futurists in the house who like to think about the future? It's a scary thing. Um, you guys, a lot of you are very young. You will live to see this. Eventually it will all be computer-generated, animated. No real people. But it will look very real. You're aware of how like YouTube wants to keep your attention and serves up content, they're like, I know what you want to watch, cat video. 
and now dog video. And they just, they t they just own you, right, these algorithms. Um, these things will be able to watch your body, see what it is you need to see, identify what it is you need to see in order for you to flip that switch and will auto-generate in real time something that is increasingly horrifying or shocking or whatever to give you that whatever it is. That's where this is going to go. And if that's you and you're and you're you're headed that direction, like that's the end of the line. That's terminal man right there. Like you're going to break your brain. Um, and this is where sort of like society-wise, we have to take a step back and be prepared for when this comes, because part of part of our society is going to applaud this. They're going to be like, "Great, no more human trafficking. It's all animated." You know, those poor, you know, minor attracted persons or maps as they've rebranded themselves. Um, Minor attractive persons, they want to see children hurt. No harm done. It's just animated, right? Is that the way we want to go as a society? Because what if just like 0.1% of people who are running down that, following that sort of downward trend, decide that they would like to see some action in real life? Um, I've noticed Ted Bundy has risen in showing up on like my Netflix feed, and I think there's a movie or a documentary or something, so it's perhaps the cultural awareness of him is rising higher again, but he was serial killer back in the day, and he identified pornography use, old school pornography, as being an influencing factor for him. We do not need 80% or 90% of society freebasing in this way and just going off. We, we are basically creating a nightmare situation for ourselves. And in some ways, it's already begun. So, okay, that was super long, depressing overview of all of this stuff. Everyone's stomach hurts a little bit. Um, what does the Bible have to say? Because this this is like a problem by almost any moral standard anywhere, but we want to see what Scripture has to say about this. And uh, so I'm going to reread the Scripture that was read before. Slightly different version will be in the ESV. Um, if you're still there in your Bibles or your Bible apps, I would encourage you to open it. So I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'll refer back to it, and you're going to want to be able to follow along. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'll start in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, meaning uh, Jesus, and, the, and, and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall then I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that, the, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So it's around 53, 54 AD when Paul is writing this to the Corinthian church. And they're under the Roman Empire. Now, when it comes to sexual ethics, some people are like, you know, the Bible's a little outdated. They didn't have science the way we do. They don't know the things we know about sexuality and gender. It's not really a great authority to be drawing on. They're a little backwards. Um, 
Uh, and so as we look to Paul on his teachings on this for the church and for us, um, a few things to keep in mind. First of all, in any empire, this is the Roman Empire at this time, in any empire, there is a discernible pattern of sexual moral decline um, as empires grow and become more affluent. Um, this sexual moral decline eventually contributes to empire collapse, often, but not always, often uh, involving another um, more sexually conservative empire coming in and, and conquering it. Um, the sexual moral decline is very predictable, starting with sort of an uh, acceptance of um, heterosexual infidelity. So think of like the free love movement in the 60s in North America. That's kind of where it starts. Then the acceptance of homosexuality, the dissolution of gender. Uh, we could find ourselves there at that point in this trajectory. And then finally, the acceptance of pedophilia or minor attracted persons. Um, and other bottom floor sexual lifestyles, bestiality, etc. Now, we, we tend to think of ourselves as being more developed on this issue, that we are further along, we know more, we have more perspective. C.S. Lewis calls this chronological snobbery, and we're great at it. Um, but the reality is, if you could take folks from Paul's day and bring them here, they would think we're prudes by comparison. They're like, you haven't even started using keeping children at home as sexual furniture. Like, what's wrong with you guys? Um, it's too disgusting to describe, but calamites were a thing at this time. Um, the point here is that they are further along than we are, not behind us. They're more advanced in terms of processing through this sort of sexual ethics stuff. Paul speaks with more authority than what we can muster today because of what he is dealing with is further along. We have so much more that we could be affirming about um, and that we're going to have to wrestle with in the coming years. So keeping that in mind, Paul's speaking with authority. Uh, verse 12, he starts out, he's addressing a number of things that are going on into, in Corinth. This church is in this environment, way worse than what we're experiencing, and they're allowing some of this sexual ethos to come into the church. There's a few things. One is there was uh, popular at the time was platonic dualism, that expressed in the church as Gnosticism, but the idea is, is that your spirit matters, your body doesn't. They're separate, and your body is just, you know, whatever. It's just a tool, but your spirit is pure, and that's what matters. So the way they game theory that out is, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. It doesn't really matter. Um, and Paul's countering this, saying, God made your body. Your body matters. Jesus' blood paid to buy your body. You will be resurrected bodily. You are joined together as the church with Christ's body. Okay, your body matters. What you do with your body uh, matters. And he, and he pushes on this with first with the illustration of food. Because he's saying here, he's essentially quoting, they're, they're saying, um, uh, you know, all things are permissible for me. And he's kind of quoting that and then responding. So he says, all things are permissible for me, um, but not all things are beneficial, Paul says. And then he says, all things are permissible for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not, another way you could say, I won't be addicted to anything. So he's quoting this, and what's amazing is our freedom in Christ, if you're in Christ, our freedom in Christ is so great, he doesn't contradict them. He doesn't say, actually, you're not that free. He doesn't say that. So we do have a lot of freedom in Christ. But instead when he says, not all things are beneficial. So Old Testament, like no bacon, right? Can't have bacon. New Testament, yeah, you can have bacon. But then Paul's like, 
but should you? Right? Like, that's the thought process here. There's some folks in the South Shore, or uh, yeah, South Shore congregation, three generations they haven't eaten bacon. We be like, talk to them about their freedom in Christ. But one of them's allergic to bacon, so it's a moot point. We let it slide. Um, but this is a question, right? You know, like, and so he deals with food first, and he's like, you know, like, food is a good thing. The bo- the, but food was made for the body, not the body made for food. You're not just an eating machine, right? And some of you know you have this relationship with food. You're like, food has won again. You know, like, it's, it's, it's a, it, if you are being dominated by food, that's not appropriate. Your body should trump. In the same way, sexuality, sex should not dominate your life. Even if you are um, married and experiencing sex within sort of the biblical guardrails, still sexuality shouldn't dominate your life. Now, another variable here is that temple worship in Corinth involved, um, they had temple prostitutes. You imagine, like, how popular church was when you, like, go there and have sex, right? Like, you know, it's just like, I'm really tempted by atheism, you know, like, as the alternative. Like, they had real, like, this was a real problem. If you didn't think your body mattered, you might hit the temple on your way to synagogue, you know. So this was a problem, and, and this is what he's addressing. And he's saying, like, if you join with a prostitute, and you say, like, I'm not going to visit prostitutes. But pornography, dealing with that issue as a heart issue, is still a worship issue. There's still sexuality and worship being tied up in that. It's still relevant. You're still um, engaging this with your body. And then he goes on to say that like when we allow ourselves to be dominated in this way, when we allow ourselves to go and, and sin in this way, there are social consequences, which we've talked about. But he also says there are internal physical consequences. Verses 15 through 17, he's like, and this is probably hyperbole on Paul, Paul's part. He says, all other sin is outside your body. You're like, well, what if I, you know, someone murders me? But I guess that's sin against you. But like, Generally, like, all other sins are happening out there, but when you sin sexually, you're sinning against your own body also. It's unique in that way. And when you look at the FOSBE buildup and all these opiates and all this stuff, like, there's damage that's being done to your body when you sin sexually. But if that's not enough, society, damage to your own body, Paul connects um, your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So a long time, Old Testament, like God lived in a tent, then the tabernacle, then the temple, the fire, the danger, don't go in there. But then, because of the work of Jesus, making us righteous, the Spirit went pow and spread out and little sprinkles, little fire sprinkles on his people. And now the Holy Spirit is all over the place, right? You are the temple now. You are the temple. And what you do with your body sexually connects you to other people sexually. It's designed for all those attachment chemicals, right? Um, You're connecting with other people, and should you connect your body with the Holy Spirit, with a prostitute, with other people transacting in sex? No, no, Paul says. You shouldn't do that. Um, So the challenge then we find ourselves here is how do we know, you know, it's, it's the bacon question. Like, how do we know what's okay? Because the Old Testament, they didn't have a lot of gray area. There were like a lot of rules. Like they had the Ten Commandments, which we still have. But they had like 613 other rules that pretty much dictated like, can't eat that, can't do this, don't mix the fabrics. You know, like you just, everything was all figured out. And if it was, wasn't in the rules, it was okay to do. Real simple. Now it's confusing. You're like, you know, God 
shows Peter the vision of the net of the sheet with all the animals in it. And he's like, take and eat all this. You can eat anything now. You know, there's a Krispy Kreme in there. And he's like, can I have this? And God's like, well, technically, but like, should you? You know, like, that's the thing. So you have to wrestle that with yourself. You're like on Netflix. You're like, look at all this great stuff. It's all free because of my subscription. But should you, you know, watch just anything just because it's there? How do you know if something's okay? Well, Paul, going back to the dominating thing, if what you're engaging with is dominating you, that is a sure sign that it is not good, not helpful, not wise. Freedom in Christ? Yes. The, Paul goes so far as to say that elsewhere, uh, that the death of Christ has separated us from the law. Like, and he illustrates it with, like, if your spouse dies, you're not married anymore. They're dead, right? You're not bound to that marriage. The death of Christ has divorced us from the law. Now, Jesus says the law still exists, it's still important, but the way we relate to it now changes. We don't follow it out of obligation or liability, but out of love and an imitation of Christ. It still matters, uh, but we relate to it differently. We have to make white, wise choices. Um, now, the tricky thing is when it comes to sex is you can't just be like, oh, I'll just won't have sex. I mean, as a single person, I learned, I was listening to my wife talk to her mom, who's from France um, and lives here now, but grew up in Paris, and they're speaking in French really fast, and I heard the word celibate. And I knew we were going to the singles event, which many of you were at. Some of you I saw, I had the instinctual thing. I'm like, are they carrying a knife? It's like uh, this now thing. I see you. I'm not sure. I'm like, I know some of you are armed. If you don't know what you're talking about, you've got to come to the singles event next year if you're single. Um, so many people died upstairs. But uh, <laughs> losing track of my thoughts. Uh, oh, yes, and my wife's explaining to her mom, trying to explain to her, she's 80 in French, like what we were trying to do. We're going to go murder people at church with a singles event. And she used the word celibate. And I'm like, oh, in French is the word for single, celibate? And she's like, yeah, but it doesn't mean the same thing. I'm like, really? She looks it up. She's like, it does. And I'm like, the French gave up on celibacy a long time ago. They don't use that word like that anymore. It just means single. But that is the sense. This, we already talked about singleness. Moving back. Married people, like if you're married, sex is part of the deal. Right? And so it's like, how do you meter that out so that it doesn't feed into something that you're already struggling with? Because here's the thing. A lot of times, if we're talking with guys and they're like, you know, I have a porn problem, but I'm also going to get married soon, so everything will just get fixed. Getting married does not fix an opioid addiction, right? You're like, since I've been married, I shoot up heroin way less, way less, you know? Just go on date night, don't need heroin anymore. No. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't fix anything. Sex in marriage is a good, great thing, um, an awesome thing, a very nice thing, but it is not going to generate the chemical mix of freebasing heroin or watching insane amount of pornography. It just isn't. Um, and uh, the problem is, though, is that husbands don't understand this, young men, as they go into marriage. We try to tell them in premarital counseling, but it's hard. And, you know, so they go in and they will use their wife to try to get that fix and ask her to do more and more strange things to create novelty. And um, Dwight was saying, like, a lot of women in sort of, like, the Tinder dating world are reporting that, or even, like, get married, and they find that they're just enjoying being with their, their spouse or whatever, and suddenly their spouse is choking them as if that's normal, right? So the violence is being built in because of this. They're using their spouse. And not to put this all on husbands, this is a, a, an issue for women increasingly as well, and they can... Um, bring pornography 
into the relationship or be um, sort of complicit in bringing it in. Suddenly you've got this third element. And you stop going, you stop from being a couple that is loving one another and seeking each other's good. And instead, you're like a couple of like meth users on a mattress in a warehouse, just like codependently enabling one another to feed your addiction. It's not good. Now, at this point, some of you may be saying, you are really focusing on like a lot of negative stuff this morning. This is probably more like edge case and not so predominant as you are implying because pleasure's natural, man. Like if God didn't want us to pursue pleasure, why did he give us uh, the ability to experience pleasure? Why do we have these chemicals in our brain? Why do we have these parts in our body? Because as Dwight said at the very beginning of this series, like we have parts that are designed for nothing else other than this process. Um, and, and we don't believe that we just evolve them for fun, but that God placed them there for fun. So how shouldn't we use them? Next week as we focus specifically in sexuality, probably we'll get into this deeper, but just to focus in on our subject in terms of pornography and the drugs that are involved. Um, my car has a speedometer that goes up to something like 220 kilometers per hour. My son's signaling higher. It's There's more. It can go faster. 230? All right. 240. Do I have 250? Yes. All right. Um, and then there's the RPM meter, revolutions per minute. It goes like 8,000, 9,000, I don't know. Anyways, um, so can I drive at 240 kilometers per hour? You're shaking your head no. Yes, I can. Technically, I could, right? The car can do it. It does go up that. Can I force it to turn eight, 9,000 times per minute? I can. But what happens if I do that for a long time or on a regular basis? My engine will die. And then it will not get me even to the grocery store or be able to live normal life. In the same way, yes, technically you've been, been in designed, created to enjoy pleasure, even great amounts of pleasure. Um, but if you insist on overclocking or redlining your machinery on a regular basis, you will break it. And then you will not be able to enjoy normal things like bacon or Krispy Kremes or the combined two things. Don't do that. that you, you won't be able to enjoy those things because you will be broken. I remember um, I was in Chicago for a year for Bible school, and this woman came to speak on this issue. And she wrote a book. I don't remember her name or the name of her book. It was like 20 years ago, so don't ask. But she came. I do remember her story. Her husband worked for like NASA or JPL or whatever, and he was rocket scientist, you know, smart guy. But he got super into pornography when he was in the military, in like Vietnam or whatever. And he just gave himself over to it, and it destroyed his brain um, to the point where he stepped down from rocket scientist to being like, they kept him on as a custodian. He could push a mop. That was about what he was, otherwise he was just soup inside. Um, and his wife stepped up to being author to write and warn people about this, be like, whoa, this is not uh, just innocuous uh, habit here. Like, this could have real neurological consequences. She started sounding the alarm about this. So, yes, we are made for pleasure, but within safe doses. Okay, and this is why the Bible goes to such great lengths to prescribe guardrails for sexual expression because God loves us and doesn't want us to wreck our lives sexually. Um, my son has his driving permit, and now I'm teaching him to drive, and that is a very scary thing, you know? You're driving, and you're like, pull over, all right, all right your turn. You get in, and 
he's driving and like loosen your arms. Don't get too close to that person. You know, it's very scary. Why do I give him all these rules? Why does the government make you pay $11 million and read a 450-page book on this? Why? Because we don't want you to die. We want the driving experience to be positive, but it's dangerous. And so there are rules. God is not a killjoy. Um, so that's why these rules exist. But um, part of the problem in all of this is that we were designed for a lot of pleasure and we can't safely access it. Like the original design that God gave us, which was good and had guardrails, is broken. So in addition to us not, not staying within our guardrails, we also live in this sort of broken world where even perhaps it would be allowable to pursue a higher level of pleasure, but it's very hard for us to do in a way that doesn't end up getting broken um, because of sin and rebellion in the world. But rather than feel frustrated Rather than feel like we're missing out, know this. There is more pleasure coming in the new creation. Things are going to be fixed. It's going to be awesome. For those who are in Christ Jesus, who are trusting Jesus, that his blood pays for our sin, that his perfect life stands in for our tragic dumpster fire of a life, that then we get to enter into the presence of the Father. And more pleasure is coming. Uh, Psalm 16, verse 11. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. Let me read this again. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. Life, joy, pleasure. That's what avail is available to us in the presence of God. That's why heaven is awesome. You guys are like, I don't really want to wear like a robe and play a harp. Like, no, no. Life, joy, pleasure. Sometimes people erroneously be like, heaven is only pleasure. Pleasure is emptying by itself. Mixed with life and joy, it's a real gift. But until Jesus comes back, the world is still a very broken place. So what do we do? I'm going to wrap up. Wrap up with this. Um, six things. We have some slides. What's going to happen? Somebody push a button. Anyone? Yes, that is the correct one. Good job. All right. First off, no one beats drug addiction alone. You just don't. Uh, we have conquerors groups that work through this together. It's, it's very, if you're like, that's a manly sword. It is. It's, it, this is designed for men, um, but you can also email Francois, and um, we are, I believe we've had one for women in the past, and we are, like, if this is something you're struggling with, you can still email him, and his wife has been engaged in this issue with women. Um, or and or wives of men who have struggled. Um, there's, there's stuff for, for both. But one of the tricks of the enemy is to keep our sin a secret, to keep it in the dark. Bringing it into light removes half the power right away. You win half the battle just like that. You would not believe how good it feels, how empowering to get this out of the darkness and into the light and into uh, community. Um, so, you can email him. I'm going to actually, there's going to be a special edition email that's going to come to the mailing list if you get the weekly emails tomorrow. And it's going to have all this information because it's kind of a lot to remember. And also, after you've suppressed all of this and you wake up the next day, it'll hit you. And you'll be like, right, have to deal with this. Okay, second, um, just keep the slide. No, go back. It's too, I'll tell you. Um, second, ask this question. What pain are you medicating? If this is really a drug abuse issue, if this is really about painkillers, what pain are you medicating? This was huge for me in my own wrestling on this issue, is recognizing the pain and addressing the pain. If you can deal with the underlying issue, 
the need to medicate drops off and you're not fighting upstream anymore. So talk to someone, open up to your change group partner. We have a number of different ways that we talk about our church. We have the church, we have the congregations, of which this is downtown. We have city groups and we have change groups. And change groups are one or two same gender friends that you do life on life together. It's your friend and you're able to study the Bible together and challenge one another. That is a really great place to open about open up about that. This layer not as appropriate. That layer is a good place to start. And also we have biblical counselors. Brian Alton, um, who's a pastor on our staff, has a professional practice. Um, Lorianne Walker, um, we have people you can talk to about this as well. Next slide. Yes, good. Um, third, do everything you can to remove direct ac access to pornography, not only for yourself, but for your kids, if you, if you have any. Um, uh, we encourage the use of covenant eyes for filtering and monitoring. Um, you can get it for free for 30 days. The Conqueror series is still mentioned again for reinforcement, I guess. Um, and again, you can, you can scan. That's not very expensive, but it's, we use this in our family. All of our staff use this. Um, we use it in our family. It's helpful for the kids. It's, yes, it's a huge invasion of our kids' privacy. They know that slash tolerate it. And it's been super helpful even on like non-sexual issues of like just being aware of like what random anime cartoons kids are watching or reading and be like, it seems like weird stuff, but then you check it out, and you're like, it's fine. It's just Japanese people are weird. And so <laughs> I say that in love, but you know if you've been to a manga store, come on. Um, my daughter loves it. So anyways, but it has been helpful. Certain things come up, and you get the opportunity to talk because you'll see things. And I won't give examples because that would be a deeper violation of my children's privacy. But um, just being able to step in and be like, I noticed you were asking about relationships. I have a... YouTube is not the best place for random searches on relationships. I have an actual book of wisdom to give you, and you have good conversation. So we encourage that. Um, if you are technically adept um, you, and have the ability to change the DNS record, like the little numbers on your Wi-Fi router, you can use for free OpenDNS's Family Shield numbers. Just type them in. I'll give them in the email tomorrow. And you can put those in, and it blocks everything right, like the really easy to identify stuff, right at your router right at your Wi-Fi for your whole family. It's pretty good. Now, obviously, if you're on a cell phone data plan, you end run around that. So you need to make yourself aware of how to enable this kind of stuff on your kids' devices, on your device if it's helpful. Um, and it's a pain, honestly, because they don't, like, it's almost like Google wants everyone hooked on porn because you can take everything off your kid's phone and then you're like, oh, but Google Maps, you can, there's a web browser in there if you didn't know. If your kid is, if you think your kid's protected and they have Google Maps, they can do almost anything. So it's, you just, you have to be on top of this stuff. And talk to your kids. Be diligent. Talk to your kids about the dangers of the drugs that are in their own brain. I've told my kids, in your head is a bottle on a shelf. Don't open it, right? Like, just say no. Um, just like you would say no to drugs. All right, fourth, don't be foolish in your media choices. Don't watch stuff that's going to be explicit and triggering for you. Even if it's a super popular show, everyone's talking about it. Don't, you don't have to watch it. You can choose to not do that. It's not helpful. And don't support the pornification of our culture. Fifth, help us take a stand against the porn industry. Every month, church from church. Is it there or is it later? Yay. Okay. You would not believe, but like most of the pornography in the world technologically is coming from that building, which is just a few clicks from here. Isn't that gross? Um, we figured this out. And, and so this is, uh, this is so well known now. Did I talk about this already? It's hard when you preach more than once. 
Um, yes, I did talk about this, right? Like the pornography industry, Mind Geek. Yes? Okay, good. Um, and so our church was involved in that process. I remember Francois, the guy's email that's up there. We were meeting in the movie theater at Scotiabank a few years ago. And before, and he's like, how do we take down Pornhub? And I'm like, I thought he meant like a bomb. I'm like, bro. You're like, and he meant prayer. They went to a restaurant nearby and prayed. And um, two years ago, it was like all that content was taken down, 65%. And then a few months ago, C CF CEO, COO stepping down. Like it's making a difference. And you know what the job is? They just hold a sign. Who has the ability to hold a sign? You have arms. Anybody can do this. Every month they go there. It was every week for years. But every so this is the next one. You can park at the Orange Julius Bowl and justify buying sugar there to pay for your parking after. But then you just go stand there for like an hour or so, um, and it, it's making a difference. Um, finally, while we are powerless, Jesus is powerful. We need Jesus for this issue. Um, ask him to renew your mind and your heart, to renew your body, fix your body from the damage that's done. And to give you freedom. He is able. He is able. It, it may seem impossible. You're like, oh, I've struggled. I'm fighting. But it's just, it's too hard. I can't win. Jesus is able. Um, and because all of us have been touched by this in some way, it used to be, you know, again, back in the 80s, you know, if they dared preach about porn, which most churches didn't. But if they did, they were like talking to like the two perverts in the corner, right? That's the way people felt about it. Everybody is touched by this now. Um, and it's getting worse. It's going to get worse. Um, so if that's, if that's you, if you need to talk about this for any reason, please do that. Don't stay in the darkness. Step into the light and get help. We are called to be Christians in community. Being a Christian as a lone wolf thing isn't a thing. It's not biblical. We need each other for this. And finally, it, it can feel scary and shameful, um, but know that Jesus has removed your shame. This is an amazing thing, that Jesus gives you every chance. He gives you, like, if you ever buy, my, my um, daughter, compuls, as an artist, compulsively buys new notebooks to draw in, like those fancy art books. I'm like, another one. Um, but she just buys them compulsively, and she oh, loves the fresh page, you know, the white, clean page of fresh start. That's what Jesus offers us. In the Old Testament, when they would do the sin sacrifice, one of the things was the scapegoat. They would symbolically put the sin onto the goat, Slap it on the backside, it would run off and get lost in the desert and die. And then we're like, we don't know where it is. That's the way Lord, what the Lord does with our sin, our shame. He, our sin and shame is put out of his mind. Um, the Lord can take our shame from us. And it starts with confession and repentance and giving it over to him. And Jesus offers us not just freedom from addiction on this issue or addiction to food or whatever it is for you this morning. We're really just talking about addiction. And if you're addicted to something, whatever it is, Jesus can free you from more than addiction. He can free you from your sin. So if you're visiting, you're like, oh, it's a lot going on. Focus on this. Like, Jesus can rescue you. We're not a religious people. We don't believe if I can just do all the right things, then God will love me. No, God loved us enough to send his son to die in our place. His blood covers our sin. He offers us new life for free. So it's not a religion. It's a relationship. And you can start that relationship with Jesus and have him give you his spirit, which begins to change you and make you more like Jesus because the world needs a lot more people like Jesus. You can do that this morning. And then life, joy, pleasure forever with God in his house. That's what we look forward to. Do you want that this morning? I would invite you to lean into that. Um, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to go into our response. Papa God, uh, we, we do need you. 
Uh, we desire to be with you. We know we're separated from you in certain ways now, but we have your spirit. Spirit, we ask that you here would give freedom from addiction this morning, uh, that you would start that work in our hearts, um, that you would cause us to step out of the darkness into the light where we can find healing. Um, this is um, crippling our churches in certain ways and, and, and crippling marriages and hurting um, so many people, um, the human trafficking. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would just put a stop to it, that your, your justice would rain down, that you would reverse the sexual decline of the country that we are a part of, uh, that our city wouldn't be known as the hub of human trafficking um, and pornography hosting online, um, that that would change, that instead our city would distribute the gospel uh, to the nations. We ask that you would make this change in this city, that there would be awakening. Uh, but that starts in our hearts. We ask that you would do that in us first. Cause us to be free so our city can be free. And we ask that you do this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.